Welcome to Food for Thought, a podcast where we talk about meals over business. Each episode, I speak to owners, operators, managers, and marketeers about everything that makes the restaurant industry tick. I'm Dan Stockton. Join me as I delve into the business of restaurants in the yummiest way through lots of delicious food. This week, I'm delighted to welcome Dara Khan to the show. In 2007, Dara opened his first pub, Mercat Cross, in Melbourne CBD and has since created a growing empire that includes some of Melbourne's most loved bars and restaurants, including Fancy Hanks, Welcome to Thornbury, Natural History and Good Heavens, to name a few, while also building fast casual brands Mr Burger and Bell's Hot Chicken. The 100 Burgers Group, of which Dara is a director, now employs hundreds of people and plays a vital role in creating Melbourne's famed food culture. Dara, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Mate, there is so much to delve into with you and uh, to pick your, your big hospitality brain. But before we do so, I'd love for you to share with us your most memorable restaurant meal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the one that sticks out in my mind the most was having the full proper Kobe beef um, experience in Kobe, um, which I actually can't remember the year it was, but went down with um, one of my business partner, Miles, and, and a couple of friends. And we uh, were staying in Osaka and we said we'd do a little day trip to, to Kobe. And um, we found a restaurant, which unfortunately I can't find anymore. I've, I've gone back twice um, to look for it, but I, I don't know which one it is. And we had um, the, the you know, full Kobe um, steak experience where we're sitting in the restaurant and you have your own chef um, in front of you. There's a spotlessly clean stainless grill. Um, and then the, the chef comes out and cooks your, your steak, slices it up. And it was even now I, I'm just drawing, just just thinking about it. But that was that was my that was my most memorable one. Absolutely. Oh, it sounds incredible. Was that something on your hit list of, of like 100, thing, 100 things to eat before you die type of, of list? Was it was that a long time coming that you wanted to to go there and have that experience and try that? Try that beef. Probably in the top ten, rather than the top one hundred. Absolutely, yeah. So it sounds incredible. I, I, I've only tried uh, a, a version, not of a Kobe, obviously here in Australia, but haven't been to Japan. So you've just added another thing on my to eat list when I, I finally get to travel again and, and get to Japan. Dara, um, uh, in, in the intro, we talked about the Hundred Burgers Group and, and the venues that you've been involved in over the past fifteen years, and it's a really diverse bunch of, of concepts and, and restaurants and, and and venues. Do you travel a lot and, and, and look overseas to get inspiration um, for like your, your next concept or bring some ideas from overseas to, to Melbourne, like from Japan, for instance, uh, from that example or, or elsewhere? You know, Mr. Berg is an example of I guess that was the first food business we did. We, we already had the, the Mercat, which was uh, a nightclub and bar, but we didn't um, have a kitchen running um, when we opened it. Myself and Miles, who's my business partner, were in America and we'd been in um, San Fran and um, New York, Austin for South by Southwest. And uh, Miles also went to Miami and we saw um, the, the food trucks there. And um, I guess we started to see a bunch of trucks coming through in Melbourne, but we saw the scale of how many trucks you'd see in one city and 
saw that, yeah, there's absolutely an opportunity here. And so we took that inspiration, I guess, for Mr. Burger and that directly led to that. But absolutely other experiences. I think, you know, Melbourne can be quite a bubble and you can see a lot of trends happening, um, which often get, you know, repeated by venues and maybe there's not as much um, change happening as quickly as possible. So I absolutely see that, you know, international travel as being a real instigator and um, inspiration for, um, you know, what concepts we do in the future. Taking a, a couple of steps back, how did you get involved in, in the industry? Was it always a sort of predetermined path for, for you sort of coming through, um, you know, schooling and, and working in hospitality and did that evolve into it being a career or was it something a little bit more um, organic than that for you? Uh, I'd say accidental. <laughs> Yeah, like worked in hospitality, you know, from 13, worked at a fish and chip store, worked at a, a pub in Ireland. I was born in Ireland and, and got a job at a pub in Ireland when I was um, 13. So always did that and then worked at various different restaurants and, and bars for, for friends and things like that. I guess the way I got into it was from an events point of view. We used to do a lot of events, um, which led into us uh, opening a nightclub. I was studying engineering and business, so nothing really related. I didn't do, uh, I mean, I think I did, you know, home echo in year nine, but outside of that, no hospitality specific training. So it was kind of something we fell into. And then once, you know, you've got a lease, um, you know, you're kind of, I wouldn't say trapped, but you know, you're stuck there. It's not something you can really give away. It's, I guess, just kind of got engrossed by the, the, the scene and it was just what I was doing. And then from there, um, we, we had that first venue, the Mercat, for a while. And then um, as we got um, to know people in the, indus- in the industry and, and started working with other people, um, opportunities came up to um, do other venues and that's where it led to. And, and that kind of snowballed, I guess, from there. But um, there wasn't, I guess, a clear intention for me to do hospitality, but from a personal point of view, enjoying going to venues and being a very social person and being interested in business, it was kind of that meeting in the middle. It's such a great all-rounder industry that you could, whichever part that you might be interested in, whether it is like the business side or the operations side or the people side or the creative side of putting a venue together or even on the in the kitchen, it's certainly a hugely creative. So it sort of accidentally got to this point, but what would you, looking back from here now, what do you wish you might have been told before you embarked on, on signing that first lease or what would you wish you knew then that, that you know now? Uh, I, I've talked about this before, but I think if I knew what I know now, I wouldn't have done it. So um, I guess that ignorance is was bliss. Like I always talk about when we when we opened the club, we, we just knew nothing. We didn't know anything about how to run a business. We were borrowing money off a friend of ours so we'd have enough money to um, have a float in the till. We were um, ordering, you know, alcohol on a Friday, writing them a check and hoping we'd have enough money in the bank uh, on the Monday so that the check would clear. And we later found out that was check fraud. But, um, you know, we, we, we just didn't do this kind of stuff. And then I think if, you know, when Miles came to me, he's like, do you want to open a nightclub? I was like, absolutely, let's do this. If he had come to me and said, do you want to open a nightclub that you're going to have to work in for six years before you let anybody else manage it? You're going to have to be working 100 plus hour weeks. You're going to have to sleep at the club. You know, you're not going to take a wage for a long time. You know, would never have happened but that naivety you know was the reason we did it i guess it, it just sounded cool and we didn't know any better so you, to answer the question around what would i tell myself now i <laughs> i would probably just uh, keep my mouth shut 
But if I was to say someone else, because it worked out well for me, but obviously, you know, this doesn't always work out well for people. And I've got, I know people that have started venues that haven't gone well or their, you know, um, trip into hospitality didn't work well. I just, I would probably paint the picture that, you know, it's not, it's not easy work. It's not, you know, sitting at the end of the bar, having a martini, welcoming your friends in every now and then. It's a lot more hard work. It's getting your hands dirty. It's it's long hours. It's doing everything. But on the flip side, you know, as you mentioned, it's you do get a good understanding of everything. You know, I, I know how to, to clean and serve and deal with customers and deal with um, accounts, marketing, you know, you really get a, a big introduction to a lot of aspects of business that are definitely helpful, even if you were never to, you, uh, to, to, to continue in hospitality and go into another industry. You've hit on such an interesting point that uh, from from an outsider's perspective, and that's why a lot of outsiders try and like, get into the industry, I think, because they do have this vision that it is all glamorous and it is exactly that that picture of, uh, you know, the, the host sort of drinking at the end of the bar and just having a, a, a fabulous old time. But there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears and, and importantly, lots and lots of hours that go into ever getting into that position, if ever, like there's always something else to, to be done. But given the past couple of years, Darrow, the industry is obviously everyone's been quite traumatised by the challenges uh, of of the past couple of years, but uh, you're still doubling down on, on that passion for the industry. You're opening new venues. You've got a, a, a rooftop bar that's tripling in size and, and another venue to open. Why do more? What what continues to, to drive you to to continue to open new places and, 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 and build upon what you've already achieved? Yeah, good question. Um, I found a home in hospitality, not just working in there, but in the community um, that it surrounds that, especially when I um, think about, you know, when we had the nightclub and, you know, from the nightclub, we ran um, events and record label and, and various kind of things surrounding that. And the importance that hospitality and um, surrounding that, you know, entertainment um, music has on the fabric of a city, I think is um, underestimated by almost everybody. So me, I think, you know, there was this concern around, oh, is the CBD going to die and all that kind of stuff. The value that we add by creating new venues, aside from, you know, the jobs and, um, you know, the value for the business itself, I think is is massive. And you look at um, Melbourne and so many cities envy, you know, the culture that we have in terms of um, food and drink and, and, and entertainment. And it's, it's a driver for people to come to Melbourne. Melbourne's you know, not near anything else. There's no reason to come to Melbourne. You don't fly into Melbourne on your way to Antarctica. You, you don't fly into Melbourne to see the, the harbour or, or um, because of the weather. Um, the reason you come to Melbourne, in, in my belief, is around that culture and um, the ability to, you know, go out at any night of the week and, and, and have a drink, have a have a meal, go see a band or, 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 a, or a gig is so important. And whatever I can do to support that scene is really close to my heart and I think it's very important for society as a whole, especially when, you know, you look at in certain areas, we're getting further away from that. So I think it's really important for us to create these environments where you have people meshing together, seeing people that they, you know, might not experience or, or, or interact with in their everyday life. And for me, hospitality is is that forum to uh, allow that um, interaction. 
one of the consequences of of all those lockdowns, and this is more broadly than Melbourne, of course, is is the labour issue, and, and and operators across the country are all all struggling with this, which is really a, a newfound problem to not be able to have just enough staff at all to to open the the hours you want, or the venues you want, or or to the level that you want to to service uh, customers. What are some of the strategies you guys have employed in order to attract and retain your your people into the group? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's definitely a challenge. I think, you know, you look at, you know, less international um, students coming in, um, even less people moving um, from other countries. You look at a lot of people moving out of hospitality in, in that lockdown period and, and not coming back. And hospitality can ver- be very much a thing where you have to stay on, on, on the run. But once you stop doing it, you're like, oh, wow, that was a bit crazy should i still be doing that so there's obviously that big loss and for us it's 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 so many different things it's you know i'd like to think we have always looked after our staff but it's you know how can we present more opportunities um to the staff to show that you know uh the career with with the businesses is is something that can be long term, and we have we have a bunch of staff that have been with us, you know, for for over ten years. So there's examples of that in the businesses themselves that they can look up to. I mean, it's looking at various technologies. Obviously, um, Mr. Yum being one, and it's it's looking at you know. I think the big one for me as well is how do we take the worst parts out of hospitality and replace it with good things. And I, I'm sure we'll touch on that later with Mr. Yum, but that's the big one for me. Um, how do we make it a more pleasurable experience for people to um, work in the industry? That's the, I think that's the big thing. Who should we be looking to, to guide that conversation more broadly and, and to, to make the industry a, a more welcoming place to, to work, not just as a, as a short-term one-two five-year career, but, you know, something that is long-term, that has longevity, that that hospitality industries elsewhere around the globe, people do work for and have jobs for life, not necessarily with the same employer, but um, but do have a great career uh, for for life. Where where should we be looking at that? Is that at the training level? Is there like a, a branding exercise that needs to be done? What do you think? Is it a branding thing? Absolutely. I think that, and I have no solution for this at the moment, but I think people look down at hospitality um, as a career option, even as, you know, business owners. So I think you're, you're right. You look at those examples, you go to, go to France or Italy where um, you'll, you'll see career waiters. I don't have an answer to that one. I think really, I mean, coming, putting my, as a product manager at Mr. Yum, it's talking to our, our users, I guess, which is, is our staff and going, you know, what do we do to make this better for you? And I think there's a lot of things that we've seen um, improved in recent years outside of, you know, COVID related issues. But I think we need to continue with that. And I think we also need to look at how do we, hospitality saw a lot of advantages, obviously a lot of disadvantages as well in COVID, but saw a lot of advantages in the uptake and technology used. And we've seen this not just in, you know, ordering um, during COVID, but previous to that, you know, taking up uh, time and attendance software. You know, when I started, I was doing rosters in on pieces of paper or, um, or Google Sheets and sharing that with customers. And that was uh, horrible. You know, you have to call up and say, when am I working? Oh, I don't know. I can't find the sheet. So my, I guess, advice for the rest of the industry 
industry is we've seen these examples of technology being able to improve the experience of uh, venues, whether they be owners and staff. Um, I think we need to make sure that we remain open to those opportunities uh, and see how else we can um, use those technologies to make the experience better for, for our staff. Great point. Obviously, though, the, the group has been early adopters of technology and then incorporating them pretty wholeheartedly and embracing them into into your operations. Was it sheer expediency that led you to, to be sort of early adopters to be interested in incorporating technology into your operations that led you to, to make those changes to the business? And, and what, what are the benefits that you think they've brought to, to the group? I think there's a few factors. One, personally, you know, I'm interested in technology. I've always been interested in technology as a kid. My, you know, dad was a was a developer. Um, used to go along to computer swap meets with him when I was a kid. Always kind of tinkered around with things like that. Um, so for me, I see the value in technology, and um, I've always pushed that in our businesses. And you know, that's not always a belief held by everybody. You know, always have. Um, you know, old school hospo that are like, that's not the way we do things. But I think kind of what I was alluding to before, if we if we maintain that opinion, um, we are not going to get the advantages that other industries are having. So in part, it was me driving that. Um, a part of it was around necessity. So <clears throat> when we look at when we started Mr. Burger, we, we had to choose a POS system. And at the time, there was very limited options to do that. And we ended up going with Counter being a, a cloud-based point of sales um, software. We didn't have the option to go with a point of sale that you know needed a, a on-premise server or um, you know heavy machinery, you know, solid um, consoles. So that, there was, I guess, that necessity around we need to be um, choosing technology that works for us in the food trucks. And then the next element, again, was um, when we talked about moving to from um, spreadsheets for, for rostering into using um, uh, time and attendance software, which was which, which is deputy. We were uh, uh, literally a, a, a decentralized business in that we had food trucks going all over uh, a Melbourne. So we didn't have that opportunity to just nail a, you know, a roster to the wall because half the trucks wouldn't have been able to see it. So there was that need for us to, to to um, use a service that um, guests could access, uh, sorry, not guests, um, that, that our staff could access from um, from their phones or, or from laptops. So I guess that kind of set the scene. And then probably the third driver was once we saw the benefits from using, you know, POS and uh, time and attendance software, we kind of, it was pretty clear to us that there's more opportunities here. And some of those opportunities were not as obvious at that time. And that's when we, we I guess, we come to, to Mr. Yaman and, and um, mobile ordering. It was definitely something being talked about, but it was not clear, especially before COVID, that this would some be something that would be, you know, so important to the business and would be something that would be embraced by our guests. So um, they're kind of the three, I guess, uh, driving forces that I think we have in the business to make sure we're you know taking advantage of, of these solutions coming out mm, yeah with that the idea that technology and that uh, new sort of way of service was embraced by your guests would you say just in your conversations with throughout the industry that that would be one of the the biggest hesitancies that people operators would have about incorporating such things as order at table technology into their operations i think it's a mixed bag all of these things that i've, I've just talked about they're just enablers for our staff to do their job so we're taking away that uh mechanical kind of work that doesn't really advantage the guest um, and being able to give them more time 
to spend with our guests delivering that hospitality experience. So I think that there's there's that hesitancy from some people around that. And I think there's also the problem with a lot of hospitality venues don't necessarily know their customers as well as they think. They might know, you know, their name and know what they order and that they'll come in every every second Thursday and they, they might know them from that angle, but they they've never really asked the question. It's it's saying, you know, how would you go with QR code ordering? What would you think about this? What do you think about email marketing? It's not really it's it's kind of a weird conversation to have with someone in venue. Um, you know, you're more likely to know what what play they saw last month than, you know, if if they um are, you know, adherent to using technology or if they're against it. So I think that's one of the problems um, and I think we're starting to change that a little bit and people are noticing that behaviour and, and guests of venues are being a lot more vocal about um, what they expect. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a really good, really good point. Uh, I wanted to then just bounce off that from how you have implemented technology so far into your businesses to looking forward and, and what excites you about what that future could hold with some of the, the new things that you might be able to, to do now or in, in years hence. Yeah, absolutely. I think we know a lot more about our customers' behavior. Um, you know, what they, what they like to order so we can recommend them dishes, um, or, or send them communications based on, on what they like. You can think about the example. If you're always purchasing IPA, you're, you'd be a lot more interested in, in hearing about a, an IPA dinner or a beer dinner than you would be if you always buy wine. So it helps us, um, understand our guests better. It helps us, um, send, uh, more relevant comms to our, to our users. Um, that's a big one for me because, as I said, a lot of the time um, we don't know a lot about our customers and um, we don't know much when they, you know, tap on with with, with a card um, over the bar. So there's a big advantage there. I think that's that's the really exciting thing for from us, and I think that also really leads into a much better guest experience. Mm. What are some of the other uh, methods or, or strategies that you vouch for and, and are successful for, for you in, in terms of bringing people through the door or, or bringing them back? Yeah, I think I think there's a real big shift going on at the moment around that, and with, I'm I'm personally seeing a lot more move from certain platforms onto others. We see, I mean, I guess we were all bought into the Instagram and Facebook hype at the start, create your page, share with your your users, and obviously that's been eroded over time as as paid advertising comes in. So we see those kind of platforms being less effective, and and every every month we go along, they uh, have find a new way to squeeze a little bit more out of you, and you need to pay a little bit more. But then I guess on the flip side, you're seeing, you know, platforms like TikTok coming up, which, you know, inevitably will probably head the same way. But at the moment, you're kind of in that golden period where you can, if, if you're good at those platforms, you can create content that can get a huge amount of audience to it. Yeah. We're almost out of time, Dara, but uh, the, the coming out of the, the lockdowns, but, you know, the past 12 months, it was a, like huge pent up demand and, and people really did miss their local part, they miss going out, um, they miss being around people. And we've seen, you know, that, that pent up demand play out and in some really, really good times over, over the past 12 months or so. But interest rate rises, costs of goods for, for both businesses and punters are going up. People are going to be watching, uh, what they spend, I think, you know, over the next 12, 24 months. Uh, what do you think 2023 looks like just both macroeconomically? And then specifically for you as a group, you've obviously, um, we've talked about some of those exciting projects, but, uh, yeah, what, what does the forecast look like for you? Oh, it's tricky because, you know, you tradition, people always, you hear a lot of people in hospitality bang on saying, oh, 
hospitality is is recession proof and i mean i don't know how true that is especially when we look in australia where we haven't really been impacted by a recession or i mean probably technically haven't even been in a recession for you know my whole entire adult life so i I worry about that people being a little bit nonchalant about that and thinking no we'll be okay it's a recession people still got to get pissed and and have have a meal i think we need to be a little bit more proactive about that and be ready for it and you know um it's always a struggle going into winter so it's for me i think you need to be prepped for that if if things do go the way some people are saying it's going to be an especially hard winter. So um, without sounding too doom and gloom, I think it's making sure we're prep, you know, we're, we're ready to, to make um, decisions, ready to make sure we're um, out there activating and giving people reasons to come in. In terms of venues, we're, we're still streaming ahead and um, I think there's still going to be a lot of excitement about the venues that we're opening. Um, we're, we're really excited for it. We wouldn't be opening the venues if we weren't excited, you know, for the, the locations and, and the concepts. But, yeah, I think 23, I don't know. <laughs> after the last few years, I'm, I'm not interested in making any um, any uh, guesses on, on how the year will go because I'm, I'm sure listening back to this in, in six months, I'll, I'll be completely wrong. Jared, we, we are almost out of time, but I'd, I'd love for you because we all know food brings people together and good food, people and conversation are all better together. I'd love for you to tell us your um, go-to dish that you cook up when you have people over that uh, that is a, a, a fail-safe winner. Yeah, absolutely. My my one, and it's a, it's super easy to do as well. Is a it's a um, pork mince and eggplant dish I do. So get a couple of cloves of garlic, throw it in the pan, um, grab half a kilo of minced pork, brown that off, uh, dice up a couple of eggplants. Chuck that in top, put a little bit of chili, a little bit of oyster sauce, a little bit of soy or fish sauce, depending on, on how salty you like it, and then just leave it till eggplant's falling apart completely and then serve that up on rice. And that's a that's a classic that um, Ash, my, my partner, loves having and always cook for family. Um, doesn't come up as much as with friends, but um, I, know, I know they'd love it if I did. Oh, it, it sounds amazing. I, I have to admit I'm, I'm not the biggest eggplant fan in general, but that sounds absolutely delicious um and so i might have to steal that uh and and whip that up soon enough here dara it's been a, a real pleasure talking to you and and thank you for sharing your your time wisdom and insights uh, with us today pleasure being here thanks dan thanks Dara, and thanks to you for listening So you don't miss an episode, follow Food for Thought wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, or even if you haven't, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line at foodforthought at mryum.com or better still, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you have a burning question you'd like one of our industry experts to tackle or have someone you'd love to hear on the show, do let us know. This podcast is proudly presented by Mr. Yum, the industry-leading growth platform that provides the ingredients for venues around the world to serve, connect with, and reward their customers. Remember, as an industry, we are all better together, and coming together helps the industry and everyone in it to grow. I'm Dan Stock. Please join me next time for another yummy installment of Food for Thought.